0: Hello there ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, I say welcome, but I probably should start that with welcome back. Uh, It has been a bit of time, it's been just over two months without an episode, so um, I can only apologise to you guys for uh, sticking with me and those of you who are still with me. um, Thank you very much for sticking it out. We uh, have had a bit of a, a tough time, I'll be honest with you. Um, work, color commitments, children, life, family, kind of taken control um, and just haven't really had the time spare to, you know, dedicate to actually getting an episode out. Annoyingly, um, It's been very, very difficult, but I I do want to say thank you to uh, a lot of you guys out there who have um, messaged, posted on the Facebook group. Uh, Quite a few of you have messaged me on Patreon as well, um, just to make sure everything's okay. And I really, really appreciate that. I do want to let you know, obviously, um, everything is okay. Just been extremely busy and not having enough spare time in the day to actually get things done. Um, Just to give you a, a bit of an idea... It is currently 9pm um, and I am recording this episode. So just gives you a little bit of an idea as to how late we're talking when when we're on about um, getting things done. Um, but I thought we've waited long enough for an episode and I think it's about time that we did get one out for you guys. So this is why we're doing it. Now for those of you who have been savvy enough to notice... There has been an episode go out very recently, um, within a couple of days, um, that is obviously Bonnie and Clyde, for those of you who are on Patreon, it will be something you've already seen before, something you know, but uh, we... Uh, I don't know if any of you remember, uh, me and my dad decided to do a Bonnie and Clyde off um, and see whose episode is better. Dad has almost finished his episode and is ready to record it, um, hopefully by next week. So, we've made the decision to go for it and I've put mine onto the free page. So, for those of you who enjoy that episode and do want to know a little bit more about some of the criminals uh, that have lived in our society then you do need to get onto patreon because it's just a little bit of a taster um there's quite a few criminal gangs on there um but we'll find out whose is better mine or dad's anyway i'll stop waffling on thank you again for those of you who are still here um i have had a couple of reviews uh one of them made a very good point that um It was only a two-star review, but the the main point of it was that the shows are very inconsistent. Now, I totally appreciate that, um, but unfortunately, this isn't my job. This is a hobby, um, and that's why they're inconsistent, because I have a job to do, a full-time job. Um, If you want me to be doing these full-time, Um, Well, there's 1,500 of you that listen on average every week. If every single one of you signed up to Patreon, um, I'd be doing it full-time. I wouldn't have to to work. So just a bit of an idea. Um, But nonetheless, we shall get on with the episode. Now, this week we are doing the founder, America's founding father, um, George Washington. Now, I wanted to do this episode because... There's a lot about George Washington that people don't really know. We all know that he was the first president of America. He's on the $1 bill. He's one of the most famous, recognizable faces in history. Um, But what do we know? know? What do we actually know about the man himself? Obviously, he won the Revolutionary War. Was he a good general? Was he a good soldier? Or... Was there a lot of luck on his side? Um, from a British point of view? I would say he's probably one of the luckiest men in history. Um, not for not good on the British side, but you know, what did he do? You know well, there's a lot more to George Washington than just the first president of America. So we shall learn a little bit more about the man. Why is the capital of America named after him? Why is the tallest building in that capital named after him? Why is he so famous? You know, is it just because he was the first president? Is there more to his story? So we'll look at the pros and cons, you know, and I'm not going to lie, ladies and gentlemen, there are a few. Negative things to say about the man, um, but we'll get onto that as well. So, why is he so revered in America, and who was he? Let's get into that. George Washington, born on February the twenty second, seventeen thirty two. He was born in Virginia. Now, his family were quite wealthy. They came over from England in around the sixteen fifties, and owned a handful of tobacco plantations in Virginia. And yes, for those of you who have already worked that out, that does mean they owned slaves, and we're talking hundreds of them. His father owned the estate, a man named Augustine Washington, um, and he was he was quite a, a well-to-do man, socialist, um and by that i mean a social person not a a socialist politically but um he was a social person he was very into his politics he was very into um the he was part of the sheriff's group um he was a justice of the peace and he was into the politics in virginia which you know is quite a common thing to happen with people in that um, aristocracy and in that better life now the washington's actually found themselves in virginia and they made a life for themselves a life that they would never have been able to get back in britain now his father actually died um, in 1743 Uh, george was only 11 years old at this point which meant that the house estate was actually left to his brother Now, for those of you who didn't know George Washington had a brother, he did. He had an older brother called Lawrence Washington. Now, little George absolutely idolized his big brother. His big brother had taken on the role of man of the house, head of the plantations, and really, he was a man that George looked up to, a man he aspired to be like. George was an extremely well-educated man, and showed a lot of talent in the art of map making and land surveying. He had a a real knack for it, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. He was an adventurer. He wanted to explore and and do things with his life, not make maps. Um, Unfortunately for George, his brother Lawrence fell ill from tuberculosis, and the family moved to Barbados. They believed that the warmer climate would help with his condition and ultimately it didn't in 1752 lawrence passed away and a 19 year old george washington became the heir to the washington estate when washington returned to virginia he decided to join the virginian militia okay so he joined they didn't have a a state army or a a country army this was like a, a ragtag of militia um but he progressed and he was given the position of major. Now, at the time George joined the army or the regiment, um, there was quite a lot of fighting going on between the British and the French. And this mainly centred around the Ohio River in a place now known as Pittsburgh. Um, but it was very well contested and both countries were building forts trying to solidify their position along this stretch of river. George was given a position in the Virginia Regiment. Now, the Virginia Regiment was the first official regiment for the state and one of the first official British-backed regiments in the country. Though, obviously, at the time, a lot of people would join the already established English Army, they would join English regiments. The Virginia Regiment was one of the first that was solely for um, American citizens. Now, Washington was actually given the deputy command position and in 1754 was told to march the troops all the way to the forks of the Ohio River. This is the place where now Pittsburgh exists. Unfortunately, on their journey to the Ohio River, the commander of the regiment, Joshua Fry, fell from his horse and died from his wounds, thus leaving George Washington in charge of the Virginia Regiment. So the 1st Regiment of the Colonial Army, or the 1st, it's hard—it's not the Colonial Army, sorry, it's the 1st Colonial Regiment of the English Army, my mistake, um, was now headed up by George Washington. When the Virginia regiment finally reached the Forks of the Ohio, they found the French had beaten them there. They'd already built a well-established fort called Fort Duquesne, and realistically, they didn't have much chance. He was in a position where, to save his men, he kind of had to retreat there's no way you're going to take on a fully fortified position against a well-to-do French army. So they retreated back. Now, they didn't go all the way, but they retreated to a, a safe distance where Mr. Washington came across an old friend, a Native American called Tana Charison. When he met this friend, he was advised that there was a splinter force... ...from the French army of around 35 men approaching their position. This splinter force was ripe for the attack. So, George did what a good commander would do. Didn't want these men getting through the lines, finding out they were there. Didn't want them scouting on them. So, he ordered an attack. And he won. Most of the French detachment were killed along with the commander Joseph Coulon de Villiers. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The French said after this massacre of the men that de Villiers was not there to attack the the British. He was there on a diplomatic mission and was no threat to the English army that were there. Washington Decided to say, well, actually, they were spying on us. They were going to get as much information as possible, take it back to the fort, and you know, start a battle that way. Whatever happened, George Washington was responsible for the Seven Years' War, and it was a war that really England could have done without. Um, you know, at the time, you're talking. England and France have always had this rivalry, um, and the Seven Years' War was just another war between the English and the French. Um, The problem was, in the 1700s, both Britain and France had major colonies around the world. Britain had places in South Africa, Zimbabwe, the French had the Congo and places like that. Um, The British had um, India, the French had Uh, part of uh, the southern states of America around New Orleans Um, the British had one half of Canada the French had the other so this wasn't just a war between England and France this was essentially a world war Okay, and it was all sparked by George Washington shooting a man who potentially was there on a diplomatic mission probably not his best move now Washington and his men are pretty much stuck they've got to build their own fort they think the French are going to come and attack and they need to make sure they're a little bit safer than what they are in the open, so he built a fort called Fort Necessity and he was absolutely right by the way, the French were going to attack under the general Louis Colon de Villiers, the man of the murdered brother um, or the brother of the murdered man that makes sense put my teeth in I'll, I'll start talking properly sorry the brother of the murdered man um, mustered a force of around 600 men to take back uh, Fort necessity and he did <laughs> pretty conclusively it, Washington was actually given a, a bit of a, a, a reprieve by de Villiers he said to George Washington and the Virginian troops that if they leave the Ohio River and return to Wash uh, to Virginia, sorry, that they would be spared their lives. Now, knowing he was outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, and surrounded by a very well-trained army, you've got to remember the Virginia regiment at this time was very, very new. They weren't well-trained. You know, Washington, a man in charge, has only been in the army for a year. He's not he's not a general at this point he doesn't really know what he's doing so they have to retreat and he does he retreats back to Virginia where he thinks that's it my military career is over I've lost I've not done what I was told to do and I'm going to be a laughingstock however he gets back to Virginia to find that it's not his fault and they don't blame him for it either The Virginia House of Burgesses, which is, I'm assuming, Virginia's version of the Houses of Parliament, pretty much blamed everybody else. Um, Anything and anyone they could blame, but not George Washington. Meaning, he kept his job. The British decided that they were going to take Fort Duquesne back. Now, they sent General Edward Braddock to take it back with a force of around 2,000 men and George Washington came with him Washington came with him because he knew the area he knew the fort and he knew the the French and where they were on July 9th 1755 at the Battle of Mongahela the British were conclusively beaten by the French in fact, two-thirds of the British army or the British forces were killed or injured, including General Braddock. Now, Washington did get a little bit of praise for this because his Virginia regiment formed up a rear guard to allow the retreating officers and retreating soldiers to actually get away. And he got a little bit of praise for that. Although, realistically, he's now been in two battles and lost both. Washington returned back to Virginia and he left the British Army in 1758. We left the army because he'd applied for a position as a higher ranking officer and was dismissed. And the the English basically said, you're not good enough. We don't want you. We don't really want any of you colonials as officers in our army. You're not good enough. You're not clever enough. Basically, yeah, we don't want you. Amazing how history turns on a dime. Had they have looked at Washington in a slightly different light and thought, "Do you know what? Maybe he's good enough. You know, maybe we'll give him a shot or put him in as an officer." How different history could be. Now, I'm not saying that it would have changed the results of the Revolutionary War. It probably wouldn't have some of the things that Washington did and how America is shaped is because of George Washington and it'd be interesting to think how history would be completely different had the British kept him on he actually married a woman called Martha Curtis now Martha Curtis was a widow uh, with two children Jack and Patsy and George helped raise them from a young age now Sounds a bit strange that he married a a widow. He could have probably could have married anyone. I mean he he, he was a, a strapping man, he was six foot two, he was probably one of the tallest men of the time, um, a military leader, a commander, and very, very rich and powerful with his own plantations and lots of money. So why pick Mrs. Curtis? Well, he married her because obviously he fell in love with her. You know there's they were married for over 40 years, but he she, sorry, was a very very wealthy woman with a lot of plantations herself. The combined wealth of Washington and Curtis made him the one of the richest men in the colonies. He was essentially the Bill Gates of his day. George and Martha never had children of their own. It's believed that he uh, contracted smallpox as a child and, and that left him infertile, but we don't know. I mean, this was 250 years ago, so we don't know if that's the truth or not, Or Um nearly 300 years ago from when he was born, so we don't know, but that's the, the going thought. So now George Washington, one of the richest, most powerful men, Decides to go into politics. He joins the Virginia House of Burgesses. And. Pretty much. Throughout all of the 1760s. 1770s. There's a growing. Discontent with the colonial. Parliaments. They're basically living. Under tyranny. Let's not sugarcoat it. That was pretty much how the British did things. They weren't bothered. We were you know the English weren't bothered. They were just a speck of land the other side of the world no one really cared about them they weren't the jewel in the crown like India was they didn't have you know the wealth and power of the other nations around them parts of Brit- the British Empire That th- it just wasn't that interesting to the British um, so they did what they could they taxed them through the heavens they set them laws that realistically weren't legitimate and they made the colonials lives not very great essentially they like i said they were living under a a tyrant and the colonials got to a point where they were sort of saying well hang on a minute you're creating our laws you're creating our taxes you're doing this you're doing that and we've got no say in it whatsoever we can't vote anybody into your parliament to talk to you about it we can't get a message to you it's not like now that they can pick up the phone or send an email it used to take maybe four weeks for a message to get from the colonies to London and then four weeks plus for a reply so there was no way of of doing anything, and and this is where the old saying "no taxation without representation" comes from. The colonials were were getting fed up of being told what to do and not having any say in it. In fact, in 1775, it spilled over into violence um, in the town of Boston under General Thomas Gage. On April the 19th, 1775, the battles of Lexington and Concord began. Now this was the first time the colonial militia decided to fire upon English troops and it cemented in American history as the date that the Revolutionary War started. Now Washington attended Congress in June 1775 where Congress decided to create the Continental Army. So a standing army that would defend the rights of American citizens in that country and basically attempt as best they could to kick the British out. Or at least, if they couldn't kick them out, at least kick up such a fuss that the British had to listen. They had to put someone in Parliament. They had to do something to make the lives of the colonials a little bit better. And the question quickly turned to who is going to lead this army? Who's going to be in charge of the Continental Army? And it quickly turned to George Washington, the only man in the room who had military experience, the only man in the room who had officer military experience, the only man in the room who turned up to Congress in military uniform, and the only man in Congress who was six foot two. He was the clear choice. There was no, oh, it could be him, it could be him. It was going to be George Washington. The man was built for the job. He dressed for the job. He wanted the job and he got the job. So on June the 19th, 1775, George Washington was commissioned to become the leader of the Continental Army. And on the twenty second he departed for Boston. When he got to Boston, he found out that he was not really in charge of an army. He was in charge of men with rifles. you know these weren't well trained. This was a militia. It wasn't a and it wasn't a militia that we'd talk about today. This was literally just men with rifles they weren't they weren't a proper army. Now the British had garrisoned in Boston and the militia had set up a siege around Boston and around the harbour. Now William Howe was the commander of the British army and the Americans didn't really have much advantage against the British. That was until George Washington turned up. He turned this ragtag group of men into an official army they became better trained they learnt how to siege properly they actually ended up putting the cannons on the top of Dorchester Heights just outside of Washington uh, just outside of Boston sorry and firing into the city in fact it was so successful that the British retreated from Boston and went to Halifax so for those of you who don't know Halifax is Nova Scotia and the only way to get there from Boston is by the sea Unfortunately, the colonials didn't have a navy, so there was no way of chasing the British. Once the British are on sea, there's nothing you can do. And I'll be honest with you, pretty much every country in history has found that once the British are at sea, there's nothing you can do. Now, both the Americans and the British knew that the key to winning this war was New York. If the British could take New York, they could cut off all the supply to the militia most of the militia was funded and manned from new england okay which is the top northern part of america if you can take new york you can cut off that supply chain the americans know that if they take new york then new york is the strategic heartland it's got the harbors and things like that it's a lot better and it will push the america uh, the british further down south away from Canada. You got to remember at this time Britain had Canada. So, what to do? Well, they turned their the Americans turned their eyes to New York. And on the 2nd of July 1776, the British arrived in New York. Now, the British won the battles and they they took New York. Okay? New York was extremely important, and the Battle of Long Island on the 22nd of August 1776, 20,000 British took on the American militia, and they defeated them. The Battle of Long Island was a huge defeat. Now, had it not been for Washington's stealthy retreat overnight to the island of Manhattan, the the, uh, the revolutionary war could have finished there and then Washington decided to take his men away from Long Island took them to Manhattan and retreated away the next morning when the British woke up there was no Americans there to kill so they chased them yeah they chased them to Manhattan and the Americans fled okay they left New York and they had to regroup somewhere else. This caused a bit of a problem. Washington was not happy. Absolutely not happy. On the 15th of September 1776. The the retreat by the Americans. Washington called it as cowardly. And a disgrace. Um, it meant that the British occupied New York. Which they did occupy for the remainder of the war. Now the Americans did have one uh, morale boost during this time and that was the signing of the Declaration of Independence and we'll get into that a little bit later in fact I'll get into that at the end because I will will say that the Declaration of Independence to me is a bit of a grainy subject because it's down as the 4th of July it wasn't the 4th of July but again, stay with me people we'll get to that at the end so, regardless of anything The Americans have to retreat. They retreat to Pennsylvania. Now, seems like a good idea. They're far enough away. It's just coming into winter. This is the 15th of September. Winter's around the corner. Now, in the 18th century, wars were not fought in the winter. They just weren't. Okay? It's cold. People die. You know, you've got to fight all the elements, let alone fighting each other. So, the British... Packed up for the winter. This was a big boost. For Washington and his men. Washington knew that he had to do something. His men were dying. He was losing. He didn't really have much chance. They just lost New York. They knew New York was. The strategic heartland. So on Christmas Day. 1776. George Washington decides to cross the Delaware into New Jersey. This is one of the most famous paintings in American history. Now, I'm not sure how accurate that painting is, because as far as I'm aware, George Washington couldn't swim. So the fact that he would be standing on the bow of a rowing boat in the middle of the Delaware River on the 25th of December probably suggests he wasn't doing that. But nonetheless, it's a great picture. On the 26th of December, 1776, the Battle of Trenton happened. The Battle of Trenton was a huge, huge victory for Washington and his men. They took over 800 prisoners and they took all the supplies from the garrison. Massive. Really, really important. After this victory, they then moved to Assopink Creek, where they defeated the British again. And Washington then doubled back and beat the British at Princeton, the Battle of Princeton. And the British left New Jersey. They'd just been beaten three times. In the middle of winter, they're not expecting it. They're not ready for it. And Washington took the advantage, and he destroyed them. He knocked them out of New Jersey. So in 1777, the British have decided that this noisy neighbor across the ocean probably needs to be dealt with now. We've been letting this go on for a year and a half, two years nearly. It's not just going to silence itself. So they sent in General John Burgoyne from Canada, from Nova Scotia. Now he was to advance south and to take Albany. If he took Albany, which is the northern part of New York, he would separate New England from the rest of the army. This was the goal. He was also supposed to get help from General Howell, However, there was a bit of a rivalry between Burgoyne and Howe. And Howe decided that he wasn't going to reinforce Burgoyne. He was going to go on his own merry mission. And his mission was to go to Philadelphia. And basically take out the American capital. At the time, that's where Congress was. Philadelphia was the heartland for the American people. It makes sense... But it's not the battle plan At the Battle of Brandywine The British won Congress had to flee To York in Pennsylvania And the British took Philadelphia They took the American capital Burgoyne Was actually led into a trap Without the reinforcements He was surrounded by Horatio Gates And the help never came He lost two battles, the Battles of Saratoga, and on October the 17th, 1777, he had to surrender. Now, this was the first time a British commander or a British general has surrendered to the colonial forces. This sent shockwaves around the world, okay? The English didn't understand it, and the French absolutely bloody loved it. Louis the Sixteenth, who was looking for an opportunity to help the Americans, he wanted to help them, but he wasn't going to send Frenchmen to their deaths. He wasn't going to send across his army and his navy and you know all the supplies and money. He wasn't going to do that to help out a militia, yeah. So this particular sur- surrender from John Burgoyne meant that Louis Sixteenth woke up and thought, hang on a minute, these guys are a little bit more serious, they've actually got something about them, they've managed to take out one of the, better generals in the English army, maybe, these guys are worth helping, so that's what he did, he signed a, declaration to help the colonial army, and he sent them troops, money, supplies, and the French navy, now, I'm not going to lie, the French Navy was nowhere near as good as the British, but like I said, at this time, we had South Africa to deal with, we had Australia, India, the Philippines, Canada, the Caribbean. The British Navy was spread so far and wide that the concentration of the French Navy being sent to America meant we just couldn't control it. There was no way the British could stand up to the French Navy in that particular situation so it left the British very vulnerable now Horatio Gates was in all intents and purposes a bit of a dick. he didn't really do anything. he was the general but he he wasn't really involved and he tried to take all the credit now taking the credits fair enough. But what he did with that credit was he tried to get George Washington replaced as general of the army. That didn't go down very well. So Horatio Gates comes out of this as a bit of an anti-hero. But nonetheless, the army now is in in a better position. The war's a little bit more level. The British are fighting. They're doing okay but they've just had their butts kicked they've taken the American capital but they've lost in New York both armies decided to not fight in the winter of 1777 and the American army wintered at a place called Valley Forge now in this place two and a half thousand of the colonial army died big big blow really big blow what can they do? The morale is going down, they still don't have their capital back. This is not going well. Now the introduction of a nineteen year old French general called Marquis La de Lafayette um, Yeah, he was a big morale boost. A very, very big morale boost. He came over from France as a soldier, he was immediately made a general. His knowledge of European warfare was unprecedented. He was a fantastic leader and really resonated with the troops and has gone down as one of the most famous generals in the Revolutionary War. He was a huge boost to the colonial army. Now, Howe was actually replaced by a man named Henry Clinton, who for some reason retreated from Philadelphia to New York. This was when Washington turned up. They tried to take back Philadelphia. He turned up. There wasn't really much of a battle, but the English were not in a position to fight and therefore retreated back to New York. Now, when they retreated, they were chased. They were chased by Washington and his men. Now, there was a battle called Monmouth, a very indecisive battle on June the 28, 1777, Um this battle comes across as an indecisive one we're not sure really who won the British will say they won, the Americans will say they won essentially it was a stalemate but what it did prove was that the English on the retreat were vulnerable in fact what caused one of the biggest problems for the English was they left New York and they travelled to Philadelphia and when they were chased back to New York guess what navy was sat in Manhattan Harbour? That would be the French. So, they were not in a good position. They retreated back to New York and all of a sudden they're surrounded by the French. What's major about this, the fact that the French were there, it just shows that the war had spread from Europe as well. With the French helping, the British were really, really outnumbered. And I'll go back to it again. It going to sound really horrible, but they weren't bothered about the Americas. They were not bothered about the colonies. They were more concerned about the pelt trade in Canada. They were more concerned about the plantations in the Caribbean. They were not bothered, and they didn't reinforce the troops that were already there. Essentially, they left the English troops in America there to die. It was It was horrible. You know, they just weren't that interested in it because the French were at war. And for those of you who aren't clued up with geography, sometimes you can see France from England. That's how close they are. Um, so it's one of those things where do you send men halfway across the continent or halfway across the world to fight in a war where... You know, essentially you're fighting rebels, or do you deal with the, the devil knocking on your doorstep? And that was pretty much the, the English response. We deal with the French. We're not going to deal with the Americans. If they win, they win. If they don't, they don't. In 1780, the British um, secured the town of Charleston in South Carolina under a man named Lord Cornwallis who then went on to pretty much destroy Horatio Gates at the Battle of Camden this pretty much ended Gates's military career and unfortunately for the British he was replaced by a man named Nathaniel Green Nathaniel Green essentially did hit and run tactics on Lord Cornwallis as they were marching from South Carolina north to Virginia and to Yorktown and thus begins the Battle of Yorktown. Washington senses this opportunity and moves his army south from New York. He's now surrounded. He's got Nathaniel Gates to the south, Washington to the north. He's outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, and surrounded by colonial and French troops, which he can't get reinforcements. He can't flee because the British Navy is basically non-existent, because the French are there, he has no choice. He has to surrender. On October the 19th, 1781, Lord Cornwallis surrenders to George Washington. Essentially, that is the end of the Revolutionary War. It caused the collapse of Lord North's government in London, and there was... Very little fighting after that. That was the end of the war. The Americans had won. But it wasn't until September 1783 that the Treaty of Paris was signed in which King George declared that he was no longer going to fight for the colonies and recognised America as its own country. And this is where the debate comes from in regards to the Declaration of Independence. So here's the little debate for you guys, and someone tell me if I'm wrong. The Declaration of Independence was drafted on the 2nd of July 1776, and it was begun to be signed from that date. The first signature was on the 2nd, The last signature was on the 2nd of August, 1776. Now the war officially ended in March 1782 and the Treaty of Paris wasn't signed until 1783. So the fact that July the 4th is Independence Day, well, it irks me, it bugs me because it's not the right date. As far as I'm concerned, And I will probably get a lot of hate mail for this, but I don't care. I'll just say it anyway. Um, You don't get independence because you say you're independent. You get independence by fighting for it, which is exactly what America did. They fought, they won, they gained their own independence. But you didn't get it on the day you said you got it. You had to fight for it. The day you said you got it was the day you decided. The 4th of July was the day you decided you were going to fight for it. But you didn't win independence until 1783. So technically, the 4th of July is not the right date. Now, I know that might annoy some people. And I know there's going to be, I will get some messages. Um, I'm not trying to annoy anyone. It's just one of those things in history that, irritates me because, well, it's factually incorrect. Nonetheless, it doesn't take away from the fact that the Americans fought the Revolutionary War, booted us out of their country, and now is the nation that we know and love today. Moving on, I've had my little say, so we'll move on to the next point. What happened to George Washington after the Revolutionary War? George Washington, a national hero, he's won the Revolutionary War. He's offered the title... Of king, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah. Um, he refused. He said, Nope, I've got no interest in, in being a dictator. The whole reason we fought for this war was so we didn't have one. I'm not doing it. And in December 1783, he resigned his post as general of the army and he retired to his home in Mount Vernon. And America was governed by a thing known as the Articles of Confederation wholly inadequate for a new country and was not very good so america had to come up with a better plan and they did they came up with a constitution washington was called out of retirement and he was the president of the constitution he was to look over it make sure it was okay and put it into effect from that America was to elect their first ever president. The election happened in 1788 and George Washington resoundedly won the election and was the first president of the United States. He was inaugurated in New York City on uh, in April in 1789 and some of the things that George Washington did in his term as president this basically still happens today now he wanted to be called Mr. President not your excellency or your honour or anything like that just plain and simple Mr. President something that all presidents are called since then he gave the first ever inaugural speech and the executive speeches to houses of congress again things that are still done today He also set up the cabinet of department secretaries into defence, etc, health, social, all the things that you have today. He set all of that up, all positions that still exist today. He had a few scuffles as president um, and there were two factions within his cabinet that were fighting against each other. They became two separate parties. George Washington was the first and only president to not be a member of a political party. Unfortunately, Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson had opposing views and formed their own political parties. Hamilton wanted centralization, a central bank, federal government, etc, etc, and he founded his own party, Jefferson didn't want that. Jefferson came up with the Jeffersonian Republican Party. Now these two warring factions Washington spent most of his time basically breaking up shouting matches however he did favour Hamilton's plans and he did pave the way to set up the federal bank, the federal um, the whole federal system that we now see in America today and it did pave that that way for America to grow into the position that it's in. And again, all of this comes from Washington. He could have gone the other route, but he didn't. Washington was begged in 1792 to re-run for president. He didn't want to. He was not interested. His, first, well, his four years in power exhausted him. He had no interest in, in running for a second term, but... Unfortunately, there wasn't really a better option out there. So he did what was right for his country, and he re-elected and won, again with a landslide in 1792. And in 1796, he refused. Point blank, I will not run for a third term, that's it, end of. And that's how it remained, up until FDR, who ran for four terms but died during his fourth term after that, Congress amended the Constitution and ever since then, a president has only been allowed two terms in office. Washington retired to Mount Vernon in 1796. His vice president, John Adams, was elected as the second president of America in 1796. Now, the relationship between america and france deteriorated over these couple of years between 1796 and 1798 and washington was forced out of retirement he actually ended up as what is called commander in chief um, which i believe is now a term for the president Um, but it was actually a position there and essentially he was in charge of the army in 1798 bearing in mind bit of an old man now, he's well into his 60s Um, probably doesn't really want to be involved, he just wants to retire but again his country calls and he answers the call on December the 13th 1799 Washington fell ill doctors didn't really know what to do and the practice of bloodletting was still quite common in the, the late 18th century and they removed around the litre of blood from George Washington. Whatever the cause, it didn't help. Removing blood from someone doesn't make them better. And the following day, December the 14th, 1799, the founding father of America passed away. A day of national mourning, and at his funeral... A man named Henry Lee, General Henry Lee, read the eulogy for George Washington. In a bit of irony, just to add to that, Henry Lee had a son. For those of you who don't know, that man was Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee, whose dad read the eulogy at the man who founded the country, would be head of the army 60 years later to try and end that nation. George Washington owned over 300 slaves and although privately knew that slavery built his family, you know, the the practice of slavery made him who he was, they made the Washington name he was an abolitionist he was against slavery and this grew more and more with him as he got older unfortunately as president he didn't do anything about it because he knew how important slavery was for building the country. Rightly or wrongly, whatever way we look at it, um, we know now slavery was one of the worst things that's happened in human history. But as a new president, the first ever president of a country, can you really cut off the one thing that's bringing money in, and as horrible as it sounds, he didn't do it, he didn't get rid of the slaves, and let's be honest, nor did the following five presidents after him. Um, but it was a case of what he could have done, not what he did do. Um, although, like I said, privately, he was an abolitionist, he was against slavery. He never really used his platform to to come out and say it. George Washington actually wrote in his will that half the slaves on his estate were to be freed on his death and the rest of them were to be freed on Martha's death. The reason he did that was he, he wanted he didn't want his slaves, he didn't want them anymore he wanted them to be free men and he was in a position where he couldn't free his slaves and not free the slaves of the Curtis um, plantations because they were interlinked there were marriages across the different plantations, he could have freed all of his slaves but they wouldn't have left because they had family, friends, children, wives, husbands that would not have been freed because they were members of the Curtis plantations. Um, now, his wife preempted this and she freed all of his slaves in 1801. Um, basically, what he fought to stop was the breakup of families and that failed because she freed all of his and left all of hers still working um essentially, she comes out of this as a bit of more of the villain than he does now, like I said, slavery' is such a touchy subject is such a hard one to to talk about because I don't understand it um you know I don't to this day, I don't understand why it happened. And I don't understand why certain people are vilified for it. I mean, the British absolutely hammered for it. Um, But we were the first ever nation to get rid of it. Ever. You know, slavery has happened since the dawn of time. Um, The Romans had slaves. The Greeks had slaves. The Egyptians had slaves. Um, Every country in the world that's built on something is built on the backs of slavery. And the first country in human history... To get rid of slavery were the British, and the British are vilified more than any other nation in the world for slavery. So, I don't understand that that concept. I understand that it was a terrible time in human history, but it's a terrible time in human history that's happened for six thousand years. So, it's uh, I think I think vilifying someone for the time is a bit a bit different, I think if you currently own slaves you're a you're a horrible human being, and you should be strung up um you know we've ended the practice it should have been ended centuries ago or thousands of years ago millenniums ago um but it wasn't it was only ended in the eighteen hundreds so we will as a human race obviously evolve from that um and hopefully we'll never see something like that again. George Washington, like I said at the start, best of a bad bunch. You know, no slave owners were good. But maybe maybe the reason he's not as vilified in America as, as certain people. Um, you know, I've seen statues of Robert E. Lee pulled down. Um, I've seen statues of other um, Confederate leaders pulled down um, on our news. It happened in this country as well. And I understand it but I never saw anything on Washington, and I think that might be why, because under under all of it, he, he had a heart, and he tried to do the right thing, even if it wasn't, even if it was too little too late, let's say, um, nonetheless, uh, welcome back, thank you so much for sticking with me guys, um, like I said, I, I completely apologize that this has been so long since you've had an episode from me and I will do my best to get as many out over the next few weeks if it means putting two shows out a week I'll do it if it means putting three shows out a week I'll do it whenever I get a chance to sit behind this microphone and record I will do it I will get something out um I don't want to lose you guys and all the messages and you know people checking up on me I love it thank you so so much it means the world to me and I can't thank you guys enough so I really really do appreciate it and like I said if um, people are concerned or people do want these episodes constantly like I said I I would love to do this full-time um, but unfortunately there's not enough money in this for me to do this full-time so um like i said i will do these as and when i can um we will have dad back in the next few weeks as well hopefully to do another bonnie and clyde episode and i think he has got a couple more on the horizon as well so stay tuned for that if you do want to support the show you do want to to see me back here more often um like i said join the patreon um for all of you on patreon um, thank you so much for sticking with me i know a couple of you have left um, i totally understand that because obviously we haven't put anything out so um, if you do want to stick with me and come back we will be getting these shows out thank you very much guys and we shall see you next week everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol.